Let's pray. Jesus, we do praise you and we bless you. We're looking for your word this morning, not mine. Speak, O Lord, your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. morning. I'm going to need your participation uh, this morning. I would like you to raise your hand if you are a part of Generation Z. Any Gen Zers here? A couple. Are you ashamed? You look ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Okay, are, th- are there any millennials here? A couple more? Okay. All right, how about uh, Gen X? Generation X. Show yourselves. Okay, uh, hands down. Now, baby boomers. Baby boomers. All right, we keep, we keep going up. I think we're probably going to start going down now uh, in terms of the numbers here. How about the silent generation? Why are you all so quiet? I don't, I don't really get this generation. These are those, you know, born between 1925 and 1945. Any of you? Any of you? Surely. Any of the greatest generation here? Yes, everybody turn around. Right there. Now, if you're wondering uh, what generation is the greatest, they literally stole it and put it in their name. So, uh, you know, best isn't up for grabs, but second best is. And uh, I know we'll have a lively debate about which generation can claim that this morning. This is where you might, you might hear someone whisper, okay, boomer. That's, it's that kind of, this is that kind of context here. You're wondering where I'm going with that. this. This is, a, this is a, a great question to ask. Let's see if I could pull this together. This morning, we're, we're going to give our attention to the psalm appointed for today. And uh, we're just going to look at one verse therein. I'm going to go ahead and read the first four verses of that psalm again for us now. And we'll focus on verse 4. This is Psalm 45, verses 1 to 4. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. If you look up the word generation in an Old Testament concordance, it turns out it's pretty frequent. It's often used. It occurs a lot more than you'd expect, given how much it comes up in our conversations, which is not, not that often. Typically, when it comes to what, what I introduced this message with, right? We're talking about Generation X. We're talking about uh, the greatest generation. The, these kinds of generations, these, kind of, um, these concepts are what we call social generations, They represent groupings of people who were born between the same couple of years, typically a a decade or decade and a half, and they share some sort of cultural circumstances. They tend to look like one another, generally speaking. We also are aware of family generations, right? There are children, and then there are parents, and then there are grandparents, and then there are great-grandparents. These family generations. I bet all of us have, at one point or another, seen a photograph where these four generations are present. And that's a pretty cool thing to see. Maybe sometimes there's five 
a little bit more rare. The biblical idea of a generation isn't different from these things necessarily. It's not different from a social generation or a family generation. It's probably just a bit more broader when the Bible uses that word. Often, generation can simply refer to the people living at a given time, in which case we would be the generation, all of us. Sometimes it's akin to what the Bible calls an age, people living in an age, a specific time. Nevertheless, uh, regardless of how in its context um, each Bible passage is using that word generation, from its scriptural frequency, the idea of human generation seems pretty important to God. To be more specific, there does seem to be a common theme when it comes to why God cares about generations. Now, to get a bit deeper into what that looks like, I want to just take a, a, a look at a few scriptural examples. We're going to stay in the Old Testament, and they take place strategically uh, at strategically important moments in the story of salvation. We're going to start in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 17. God is making promises to Abraham, all right? Here's what God says to Abraham in verse 7 of chapter 17. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. The point here is that, that, that God is not just making an arrangement with Abraham. It's an arrangement, a covenant, with all of Abraham's offspring, therefore all of the generations that will follow. And God says it's to be everlasting. So forever generations, says the Lord. Now let's go to Exodus chapter 3. The next book of the Bible, we, hear, we see another main character protagonist, Moses. The Lord is making promises to Moses, particularly as the Lord is calling Moses to lead the people out of slavery in Egypt. And in verse 5 of Exodus chapter 3, here's what God says to Moses. Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, he has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So God tells Moses who is sending him, and the name he gives Moses to tell the Hebrews includes three generations of faith, that of Abraham, that of Isaac, and that of Jacob. And then God says, this is the name, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, by which he wants to be remembered throughout all generations. Okay, now we jump over to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Moses is still in view here. The Hebrews have been delivered from Egypt and they're ready to enter the promised land. And Moses at this time has to give the law to them again. It's called Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. He has to remind all the people of the promises that God made to them when they were brought out of Egypt. Here's what Moses tells the people as they're ready to enter the promised land in verses 9 to 10 of Deuteronomy 7. He says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, 
to a thousand generations. That's a lot of generations. So after 40 years, remember, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness until the original generation who came out of Egypt died because of their lack of faith, now God commands this new generation of Israelites to be faithful to him just as, remember, God is faithful from generation to generation. One final passage, we'll go back to the Psalter, Psalm 78. This is a little bit longer, seven verses here, but stay with me and listen in for these generational echoes. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but we will tell them to the coming generation. The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and then tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. When we read passages like this, what are we to conclude except that God desires faithfulness and praise from generation to generation? It's very clear. I encourage you, if you've got some time this week, hit that concordance. Look at that word, generation. God is kind of obsessed with faithful praise being given from one generation to the next generation to the next generation and to the next generation. And that, it may not seem all that profound, especially if you've been steeped in the church. But it is profound. Why might God so regularly remind his people that he is always faithful from generation to generation And that therefore, his people must be faithful from generation to generation. Why might that be? We know God is infinite and immortal. He is not like us in those ways. And a part of God's eternal nature is that he's always faithful. He doesn't change. He keeps covenant and steadfast love. And because of these things, God is worthy of all the glory. The praise of God is supposed to be unceasing. If humanity ceased to praise God or ceased to exist, something would not be fitting because God is worthy of praise. We, though, we are not infinite. We are not immortal, right? God made us to be faithful to him in our, immort- in, in our mortality, In order for that to take place, though, for humans to be faithful to God despite our mortality, faith has to be passed from generation to generation. In order for for God to receive the eternal faithfulness and praise he's worthy of, he desires that faithfulness be passed from parent to child, parent to child, parent to child, Generation to generation to generation to generation, as long as it is that God is faithful, and that's a long time. 
Now, based upon this truth this morning, I really just want to share with you two points for reflection. Two reflection points. And the first is this. We are called by God throughout the scriptures to share stories of God's faithfulness with those who come after us. We're called to share stories of God's faithfulness with those who come after us. That may seem obvious, and it probably is conceptually, but it's probably not practically. The kind of people God calls us to be are people who have a habit of giving testimony to what God has done for us. Are you that kind of person? Today, we're looking at one verse out of the Psalms, Psalm 145, verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. But really, the entire Psalter, the book of Psalms, is an enactment, an enactment, there we go, of that very verse, meaning declaring from generation to generation the stories of God's salvation so that God's people might praise him and have our faith strengthened. That's what the Psalter is. This is a big part of why God's people have always sung together. Always. Always. Whether in the Old Covenant or the New, we always sing together. We sing through the Psalter. We sing through Psalms and, and hymns and spiritual songs, as Paul writes. Why? To praise God for his faithfulness and to foster the faith of future generations. We are to give testimony to what God has done in redemptive history, And we often do that through the very songs that we sing. Now, in addition to doing that, in addition to to speaking about God's faithfulness throughout the past, we're also supposed to share testimony about what God is doing in our life in the present. Or at least in, in this generation. Meaning, we're supposed to declare how God has been faithful to us personally and corporately. It's one thing to, to, to teach the Christian faith to, to other people, to teach them about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and to share with them the story of Scripture. That's essential, right? It's a part of preaching the gospel. But you want to know what's also essential? Sharing with other people the ways in which God has been faithful to you. What God has done and what God is doing in your life. Because when those two things, a witness to the scriptural gospel and a witness to the gospel in your life today, when those two things are brought together, it makes it clear to people that God is alive and active. And that the gospel is more than just propositions. But it's true today. And let me tell you how it's true in my life. So I I want you to just consider for a moment as a reflection point, but also as a challenge for some of you. Who are three people in your life that you are actively declaring God's faithfulness to and seeking to pass your faith onto? Just three. Who might they be? In the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, just one chapter, we get two beautiful testimonies of God's faithfulness. One from someone very young, And one from someone very old. The teenage Mary declares in the Magnificat, My soul magnifies the Lord, 
And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Well done, Mary. At the end of Luke, we get a testimony of someone old, the old Zechariah, who says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up for us a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Can you hear those generational echoes? What Mary and what Zechariah were feeling and doing in that moment has now been passed to us so that we might do the same thing. Mary and Zechariah are praising God for his faithfulness in the past and in their present moment so that generations to come will be urged to trust God's faithfulness for themselves. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare to them your mighty acts. I want to say it does not matter whether you're old or whether you're young. It doesn't matter whether you're married. It doesn't matter whether you're single. It doesn't matter if you're a parent with obvious children right in front of you or not. There are always people in our lives, always, always people in our lives who need the stories of God's faithfulness from your life that they might be urged to trust God's faithfulness for theirs. Amen? Always that need. The second reflection point I have for you this morning is it's kind of the, the, the converse here. We need to listen to the stories of God's faithfulness from those who come before us. We need to listen. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're told that Timothy, this pastoral apprentice of Paul, he came to faith through the faith of his mother Eunice who came to faith through the faith of her mother, Lois, Timothy's grandmother. So the reason that Paul's writing this letter of 2 Timothy to his pastoral apprentice was evidently because Timothy listened. He listened to the stories of God's faithfulness from those who came before him. This is similar to my story. It might be similar to yours. My my paternal grandfather, Chesley Littlefield, He was a principal of a Christian school and a pastor in the boonies of northern Maine. He parented my mother into the faith, and he actually led my dad to the Lord when my dad was a senior attending that high school. He wanted to date my mom, and he had to be a Christian to do so. That's the backstory. (laughs) My dad, Carl, became a pastor and a church historian, and my mother an educator and now a spiritual director. They parented me into the faith. And now here I am, a pastor in the third generation. And now, me and my wife have the call to pass our faith onto our kids. Now, I'm saying this as a privilege 
There's no boasting here. I'm privileged to come from generations of faith and to honor that and to keep that before myself and before my wife, my, my oldest son, Cohen, his middle name is Chesley. And my youngest son, Ezra, his middle name is Carl. Because there are generations of faith in my family, and I'm thankful to the Lord for that. But you know what? I, I'm also privileged to have people in my life who just shared about Jesus' faithfulness with me. And there are people I still remember. I just didn't name my kids after them, all right? There's Mr. Huther my seventh grade Bible teacher who had faith unlike anyone I've ever met, Derek Thompson, my youth leader, who just took time to hang out with a bunch of nerdy middle schoolers, Mr. Butler, the the chaplain uh, of my high school, who was one of the best preachers I can think of, Richard Phillips, my mentor in college, who taught me even better how to study the scriptures. I'm the beneficiary of faith handed down from generation to generation. And do you know what? So are you. Without exception, every one of you here who has faith in Christ is the beneficiary of faith handed down from generation to generation. You're here because people spoke the stories of God's faithfulness to you and you listened. Thanks be to God, you listened. And so I'd like us to acknowledge, just for a moment, in your mind, who are three people in your life who have declared God's faithfulness to you and have passed their faith to you? Who are they? Honor them. Listen to them. The passing of faith from generation to generation, it doesn't happen without sharing our testimonies with those who come after us. It doesn't happen. Likewise, it doesn't happen unless we keenly listen to the testimonies of those who come before us. This applies not only to the children and the teens in the church. It applies to anyone in, our, in this congregation who have people older than us whether in the faith or in life. Marge, I think you're the only one off the hook here. Right? We all should be listening to you. There is something for each of us to learn from our forebearers because we all have forebearers with something to share. In fact, this is part of why I believe being an intergenerational church is so critical. The story of the scriptures wouldn't make any sense without intergenerational communities of faith. And so we continue it, even if culturally that seems archaic. Because the faith must be handed from generation to generation. The faithful praise of God, in fact, is meant to cascade from the old to the young. It doesn't always happen, but it should. Think about cascading waterfall. That's that's what's supposed to happen with faith. One generation to the next to the next, to the next, so that finally at the end of the age, there will be one generation of people gathered together for all of eternity. And what will they do? They will keep praising God for his faithfulness. One generation shall commend your works to the next and shall declare your mighty acts. And so I want to close this sermon by just giving you an invitation. It's very simple. I'd like you to think of a time in your life 
Just one. I'm sure there are many. Just one time in your life when God was just astoundingly faithful to you. Maybe it was a time when he met your need. Maybe it was a time when he healed your sickness or your injury. Maybe, maybe it was a time when he spoke to you in a way that you really heard. Maybe it was a time he just answered your prayer. Whether you've told anyone about that or not, perhaps you have, perhaps you haven't, I want to encourage you, challenge you, take me up on this. Share that story with someone this week. Listen to the word of God and respond. Maybe you tell your children that story at bedtime. Don't you think that would be good for their souls? Maybe you can write this story down and send it to someone via email. You can send it to me, and if you want to, maybe I'll post it for the church to read. Give testimony. How might you declare God's mighty acts to another generation, just as it's been commended to you? One generation. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I think to end this message, it's, it's good to hear the words of St. Paul. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for how long? Throughout all generations. Forever and ever. Amen.